Amen. I have already been to worship. I can leave now. Did you sense the presence of God as did I? Amen. Wow, that's incredible. I am so honored to be here at the Great Woodburn Baptist Church. I was having a conversation with a bunch of preachers at a conference yesterday, and guess who they said the best preacher in the, in the Kentucky Baptist Convention was? Oh, no, it was me, obviously. <laughs> Actually, yes, it was your brother Tim right here. Yes. Now, there were only four of us in the room, but nonetheless, <laughs> I am so honored to be here this morning. Uh, really, I, Brad, Rod and I have known each other since Rod was a little boy, and that's been a long time ago. Um, and I've watched him grow and transform and seen him get a real job, and it's just amazing to me. I, uh, I, I'm thankful for the invitation, Tim. I've seen many invitations of all different types, good, bad, and different strange. I will never forget when I was a young college minister, being at a national student conference, there were 2,000 college students there. Now, I'm going to say the, lady, the name of a lady some of y'all may remember because she was an inner city missionary in Houston, Texas, and many of us prayed for her a lot. Her name was Mildred McWhorter. Mildred was to come and speak at this national student conference. About 2,000 college students from all over the country were at this conference. I was a young 25-year-old campus minister. This guy that did her introduction did an illustrious introduction. Now, she was seated back in one of those big preacher chairs. Do any, any of y'all remember those big preacher chairs? She was sitting back in one of those chairs. This introduction, you'd have thought the Queen of England was coming to speak when he finished this introduction. He took a stu few steps away from the podium, and he came back, and I thought to myself, now that's strange. I think if I would have forgotten something at a national conference of this magnitude, I think I would have just left it alone. But he wanted to play a joke on Mildred, and he must have forgotten it. He stepped back to the podium. And he glanced over at her, then he looked back at those 2,000 college students. He glanced over his shoulder a second time, a third time. Then he looked at those students and he said these words, You realize there will be no women in heaven? Because the Bible says there's going to be 30 minutes of silence in heaven. <laughs> You're much nicer than those college students were. And had he known Mildred well, he'd have kept his mouth shut. She wasn't quick on her feet. She was rather big-boned like myself. I love that phrase, big-boned. I'm in Kentucky, so I know I can use this term. She moseyed up to the podium. When she got there, he was now sitting back in one of those chairs. She glanced over her shoulder at him and looked back at 2,000 college students. She glanced over her shoulder a second time and glared back at 2,000 college students, just mimicking the guy. You could see something was coming. Looked over her shoulder a third time. Then she looked back at those students and said these words. You realize there will be no men in heaven. Because the Bible says I would not have you ignorant brethren. <laughs> and all the women in the room said. I am grateful to be here not only because I get to be with Tim and your church and uh, just share with you some thoughts. I'm also really honored to be here because I'm talking about a topic that is very dear to my heart, but should be dear to all of our hearts. But it sometimes gets overlooked. You see, we have this great passion to know God. And we have this incredible passion to have this vertical relationship, this relationship with God. But sometimes we miss the importance of the relationships that we are to have with one another. Sometimes this gets overlooked or it's misunderstood. It seems that we might believe that if I have a couple of friends or acquaintances in my church, that that's going to aid me in my transformation to become more like Jesus. Don't miss what I just said, please. Our role is not to be church members. Our role is to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Those who become mature in Jesus Christ exhibit these things. Love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Can you imagine a home where everyone exhibited those things? Can you imagine a church where everyone exhibited those things? Can you imagine a life with people who exhibited those characteristics? And folks, those things don't come about by simply attending church. Sitting in rows will not allow that to happen. We have to sit in circles, looking each other in the eye, talking about our past journey, our present journey, the journey that we're going to be on. We have to be in relationships that are such that when it's all said and done, I say, I didn't have a couple of friends in my church. I had brothers and sisters that I could call any time, day or night, 24-7. That when I struggled with pornography in that hotel room, I had a brother I could call and there was no judgment. When I had a longing to say something about my husband, but I knew I shouldn't say that because it would demean who he is, I hesitated because I had a sister who was holding me accountable. They're the kind of relationships that guide us to God's word over and above someone else's opinion. You see, we were made for community, not individuality. Say, Rick, can you give me some theological structure to put that around? I can. Before time began... God lived in community. That was his longing. That was his option. That was his choice. As the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That is the first and most perfect of communities. But then when God determined he was going to create, he created planet Earth and he gave us Adam. But Adam could not be whole without Eve. And so the first family community was birthed. And then when God wanted a people for himself, he created the children of Israel. And then when he wanted the people like us, he created the church. People, God is so focused on community that he's not coming back to get you. Jesus is not coming back for you. He's coming back for his church, the community. We were made to create community, to be in community, to be transformed in relation to community. That's how we were made. If you take your Bibles and turn to Acts 2, 42, please. Acts 2, 42. I'm going to land here momentarily, but to kind of give you a feel for where we're coming from and what Scripture says. Boy, Tim, it's great to hear those pages turning. Fantastic. Thank you for that. So let's give ourselves a little background here. If you've read the scriptures, you know that Jesus promised again and again and again that when he was no longer with us, that he would send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would empower us to live in community, to utilize the spiritual gifts that were given us in community, and to see transformation through community. Peter, as he's given the Holy Spirit, is given the gift of teaching, preaching, and apostleship. And he preaches, and we know that 3,000 people come to Christ that day. Now, I want to pause just a minute. For those of you that are about to be small group leaders, and I'm going to get to train you this afternoon, you may be nervous. Let me set your spirits free a little bit. 3,000 people come to Christ, and I'm about to read to you that they were meeting in homes and seeing seeing transformation like never known in human history, and not one of them had ever been to one of my training conferences. (laughs) They had no training. They allowed the Holy Spirit to do the work that only he could do. 
They opened their hearts and lives and minds up and let him work. Here's what that passage says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, listen, and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple course. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And here's what happened. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Church, they were being the church, not just doing church. Let me tell you what I mean by this. Many churches give a lot of attention to doing church. We get our budgets right. We put the right people in place. uh, We make sure that everything is taken care of on paper. We're very organizational, but not real relational. And when we become so organizational that we're not primarily relational, we become not a church, but an institution. And God called us to be a relational people more than an organizational people. Don't get me wrong, the organization has to happen. But for you to experience what God wants you to experience and, and have the life that he longs for you to have, you want to be in a relationship with some people in a circle, about 12 people that you get with often. To journey alongside. Now I want to give you four quick points about this kind of a journey. Why would I need to be in a group? First of all, you need people to help carry your burdens. This is going to be a little bit of an interactive sermon, so I'm going to ask for your help on a couple of occasions. What phrase does every great fairy tale begin with? Excellent. And it ends with and they lived happily ever after. I did that one time in a church, and this lady screamed out, the end. <laughs> And they lived happily ever after. Now, would it be fair if I just said out loud, that's a crock? Has your life been a happily ever after? Mine has not been. My journey has not been come to Jesus and everything is perfect. I have a son. He's doing great right now. But until a little over a year ago, he was a drug and alcohol addict. I laid awake many a night in my home, staring at the ceiling, saying, Lord, please let me sleep. But while I'm awake, please heal my son. Please heal my son. Life is not all roses. Jesus never said it was going to be all roses. But he did say he'd be with us through it. And if we're not careful, we think he's the only one that's responsible for being there through it. That's not true. It's not true at all. Galatians 6, 2 says this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, some of us believe, I don't need anybody else. I'm a strong, powerful guy, or I'm a really impressive woman. I can do it all on my own. We need to understand something about this word burden in the New Testament. There are two different definitions of the word burden in the New Testament. One is a burden that is light enough that I individually could carry that burden. But the other is a burden so heavy, it cannot be carried by one individual. And that's what we're seeing in this passage, is that I cannot carry my burden alone sometimes. But do I have some people that I'm in relationship tightly enough that I will share with them what my burden is? Do you have those people in your life? Guys, is there someone you could walk up to and say, 
I just got to be honest, I don't feel in love with my wife right now. Would you pray for me? I may lose my job. Would you be there for me? One of the small groups I led, there's a fellow named Dave in our group, and he called me one day, and he said, Rick, I, um, I'm in a, I'm in a bind, dude. I, I just found out I'm losing my job. I'm done, man. I got no work. I'd like to share that with the group tonight if I could. Now, we had agreed that Acts 2, 42 through 47 was going to be our covenant with each other. And it reminds us that what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. And I will meet your need if I have to sell something to meet your need. Not go to the benevolence-funded church, but rather we will meet your need. Going into that group meeting, I thought to myself, Rick, are you going to ask him to do that? Are you really going to ask them to be what they said they would be? Are you really going to request of them that they be the church, not just do church? And when we got into that room that night and Dave shared he'd lost his job, I asked this question. How many of you that are around this circle are willing right now to agree that Dave and Debbie will not lose their home. That we will do whatever it takes. We'll sell whatever we need to. We'll get in our savings. Whatever it takes, we will be certain that our brother has a roof over his head and his wife have a roof over their head. And I got to tell you, that scared me to death. I didn't know what the response was going to be. As you might imagine, there was a long silence and I just let it linger. You know why? I didn't know what to say. And finally, the voice came from a very quiet guy in the group that seldom spoke, and he said, we're in. And his wife looked at him like, yes, we're in. And the next guy and his wife said, we're going to do that. And then the guy that never speaks across the room just whispered to his wife, I want to do that. It changed their lives, and it changed my life. When we care for each other as deeply as Scripture demands of us, transformation takes place. Listen, folks, there are two kinds of church members. Those who believe the church's responsibility is to make them and their family happy, and those who realize their responsibility is to give glory to God through their actions and activities. And when you get in a small group where people are really loving each other, That first option is not an option. The second thing I want you to capture is this. We will raise the bar for one another. We will raise the bar for one another. Colossians 3.16 says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach one another with all wisdom. Is that how it reads? For those of you that know this passage, you know that's not what it says. But that's what it should say in most Baptist life. Because we're good at teaching each other, but not doing the second thing that passage reminds us to do. Here's what it really reads. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. What does that word admonish mean? Well, it means to caution or reprove gently. That if I see you falling into sin or not following God's directives, or there's a directive that we learn in our group, that I will reprove you gently in love and remind you that we have a responsibility before God. I got ready to finish college and by the way, um, my wife started college a year before me and finished a year before me. She started a year after me and finished a year before me, I meant to say. I had two wonderful freshman years in college. (laughs) Because she finished a year before me, she had taken on a job to put me through that extra year. 
Now, I thought I was ready to graduate and got a call, and there's been a slight mistake, Rick. You lack one elective hour, one elective hour, and you've got to do it on campus next semester. When Julie got home from work, I said, Julie, there's been a mistake. I've got to take one more class, one elective hour. Now, if you know my wife, she's the most godly person I've ever met. She's incredible. I call her my sexy saint because she's gorgeous and godly. And she looked at me and she said, that's fine. Why don't you take an 8 o'clock class so you can get a job? <laughs> now, the only elective that was available was track and field. And I asked you people this question, do I look like a track and field star? How many of y'all were high school or college athletes? Raise your hand, please. High school or college athletes. Well, you're going to understand a gesture that I had never seen before. I came to the track one day and there were these two vertical bars and lying across them was a horizontal bar. Any idea what we're about to do? The high jump. Do I look like a high jumper? Now, coach is standing down here and the word coach was interesting for me because I'd never worked with a real coach, like a coach coach kind of guy. Got down, he got us in the single file line and we're each going to take our turn. But before we did our turn, he gives us basically three or four principles. Run, one is the run principle. You're going to run as fast as you can run. Then there's the timing principle. You're going to time your jump. Then there's the straddle principle. Now, today when they do the high jump, they go over with their backs first. Back then, they straddled the bar and rolled over the bar. Now, I'm thinking to myself, I want children someday. <laughs> this did not seem like a good idea to me. When it came my turn, I made the mistake of saying, as an unathletic guy, I looked at the coach and I said, Coach, I don't think I can do this. Athletes, this was his gesture. Look at me. You're looking at me, boy. You're going to run as fast as you can run. You're going to time your jump. You're going to straddle. You're going to roll. You got that? Having never dealt with this type of person in my entire life, I said, Coach, there's no need to raise your voice. <laughs> Did not go over well. I ran as fast as I could run. I timed my jump. I straddled. I prayed. And I went right over the bar. And I said, Coach, I'll see you next time. It's been a great week. Get back in line. You know what he did, don't you? He raised the bar. Came my turn again. I said the same thing. He screamed for a while. Then I took my turn. I ran as fast as I could run. I timed my jump. I straddled. I prayed. And went right over the bar. But when I came off this time, I thought to myself, I found my calling. <laughs> Rick Houghton is a high jumper. Send all the skinny people home. <laughs> you know what he did, don't you? He raised the bar. That doesn't bother me. I'm a high jumper. Man, I ran as fast as I could run. I timed my jump. I straddled. And to this day, it's a miracle to me that I have two grown sons. <laughs> Here's what I want us to understand. I want us to understand it is through admonishment, through the raising of the bar, that growth takes place. If you want to write down one thing in my time with you, write this down. Spiritual growth begins with discomfort, not comfort. When God calls us to do something we think we're incapable of doing, and we move forward in faith, no matter how the outcome goes, we grow spiritually. We need some people close enough to us that they will raise the bar on our behalf at times. Then I want to suggest to you that you need some place where people can remind you of God's grace. Let me say it again. You need to be so close to some people 
Relationally, that you can share with them your struggle with sin and they can remind you of God's grace. Here's what Colossians 3.13 says. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, I would say to you, that doesn't just mean that when someone sins against me that I forgive them, but rather I remind them of the great grace that God is constantly giving us. It's necessity. This is one of the enemy's greatest tools to hold us back in life, is to tell you you're a horrible sinner. Romans 8 reminds us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None at all. You are forgiven. I have a dear friend. Well, let me ask you this question. Raise your hand if you sin. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just join the rest of us. Because Scripture says that if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. Now, why would I do that? The only way that we'll be willing to confess our sins is if we're reminded that all of us sin. And one of the great disasters of today's church is... We come and act like we don't sin, but a lot of people do. We all struggle with sin. And once I'm willing to agree to that with a group of about 12 people where it's a close, intimate, real relationship, then I can own open up and say, this is where I'm struggling. And they can say, Rick, you're forgiven. I have a dear friend who, um, amazing guy, one of my favorite people I've ever known, and he created a disastrous situation for himself and having a relationship with someone other than his wife and his sin overtook his life and almost took his life he tried to commit suicide twice but because he had no one to share with and no one was willing to remind him of his sin because he didn't call the ones who knew him best because he felt shame he once wrote these words today is trash day I love it with a plastic trash bag in hand, I scoot through the house, emptying the trash cans from each room. Then I roll my green and blue bins out to the curb. Then the magic happens. By the time I wake up tomorrow, a truck will have come by, taken my garbage and hauled it away. I have to do this each week because I don't have room for more than a week's worth of trash at a time. And a personal confession, I like the blue trash bin better. It's the one for stuff that can be recycled. It's not that I'm a huge environmentalist. It just feels better to know that my trash will be put through a process and made useful, good, clean, cool stuff, this recycling thing. Now, if people can do this weekly with garbage, don't you suppose Almighty God can take our garbage and recycle, then make us useful again? So if you want to throw me away, at least throw me in the blue can. Anybody else in this room ever felt like I was thrown away but never given a chance to be recycled? It's because I didn't have close enough relationships with a handful of people that they would hold me and hug me and look me in the eye and say, Rick, you need to repent, but you are a forgiven brother in Jesus Christ. Jesus went to a cross and his blood was shed. And when his blood was shed and you accepted that blood, Isaiah says, you were washed white as snow. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they can be as wool. So come, let us reason together. <laughs> come, let us reason together. Come, let us get in little circles and reason this thing out and realize that the work has been done. We are forgiven. And then finally, 
We need a place where we are affirmed and encouraged. Three times in the New Testament, we're reminded to encourage one another. And sometimes it says to encourage one another daily. Everyone in this room needs to be affirmed and encouraged often. 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 It is to look someone in the eye and say, I love and appreciate you. It's to look someone in the eye and say, I just like who you are. It's to look at your wife and say, babe... I don't say this often enough, but I really appreciate not just who you are, but all you've done for me. There's um, one of the great leadership gurus of our time, Ken Blanchard. Amazing leadership guy. Was once at a conference he was leading, and he was doing an entire conference on encouraging uh, those who you had oversight of. He was working with managers, and he someone raised their hand at that conference and said, "Well, how will I know someone's done? Someone has done something that is um, important enough that they deserve a word of encouragement." I'll never forget Blanchard. There was a short pause. Then the old wise fellow looked at the room and he said. Catch people doing something right, then tell them. Perhaps noting the small things is bigger than noting the big things. I, um, so I'm about to say something. I may get tarred and feathered. In North Carolina, they about killed me for doing this. The greatest college basketball coach of all time, John Wooden, once said, Am I okay? After last night's game, I'm sure I am. He once looked at his players and he said, if somebody throws you the ball and then you score, in essence, there's been an assist. On the way back down the court, give the guy that got the ball to you a gesture of affirmation. One of those geniuses looked at Coach Wooden and he said these words, Coach, what if they ain't looking? And Coach Wooden paused and he said, oh, they'll be looking. Because the truth is this, folks. Every emotionally healthy person in the world appreciates receiving words of affirmation. We need to learn to affirm. And where do we do that? We do that in safe places with people we know well enough that they understand, I'm not just putting on, I really do care about you. We're in that circle when someone shares, hey, I just would like for you all to thank God on my behalf. I got a raise. And someone there goes, I am so proud of you. I knew you could do that. I knew that one was coming. That doesn't surprise anybody in this room, does it? And everybody goes, I so agree with you. Folks, when we can get in these circles of relationship and encourage and admonish and care for one another, what happens is our hearts become warm through the Spirit of God, and we begin to reflect that everywhere we go. And the last verse of Acts 2, 42 through 47 says this, as we're being the church, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The greatest evangelistic movement of God will take place when the church gathers in small groups, and those groups begin to experience this love relationship I've just described, and unbelievers come into those groups, and they see it happen, and they go, I want to piece of that action and the only way you can get a piece of that action is to know that Jesus that lives in my heart that's what small groups are they are the tool God uses to grow us make us mature disciples and evangelize the world I want to pray and then give you a chance to join one let's pray father I thank you for these wonderful people and the time we've had together I ask Lord that as we close this service that you'll open the floodgates of movement and that people will move to be involved in one of these groups Father help us 
Help us to journey in places we've never gone before. And Father, I also just want to pray that as this moment happens, that we will show love to one another in your name. Amen and amen. Would you stand, please? Let me tell you what's about to happen. Pastor Tim believes deeply in these groups. In fact, you'll see he's leaving the room. It's not because he hated my sermon, although he might have. He's leaving the room to model for you going to register for a small group. There are tables out in your lobby where you can go talk to someone who leads the group or learn more about the group, and then you can actually sign up for one of these groups. How many of y'all have already signed up for a group? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, I would like for you to lead the way, and if you'd go to the table where your group is going to be uh, together, just go right now if you wouldn't mind. If you're already signed up for a group, just go to that table right now so they can meet you, those that are considering a group. And in just a second, I'm going to say one, two, three, go. And I'm going to surprise my brother here a little bit. Okay? Okay? Okay. When I say one, two, three, go, the, no, I'm going to do this first. Those of you that are, were considering a group but you haven't yet signed up, would you just go right now? Just follow these folks out. Just go right now. You don't have to sign up, but you can go find out more about it if you'd like. Just go right now to follow these folks out. Fantastic. Anybody else just go right now? You can check it out. We're not dismissing yet. We're just for folks who are considering a group. Because I want you to do one more thing for us before we leave here. I want you to show each other the kind of love we've just talked about. I talked about encouragement and, uh, you know, speaking words of affirmation. I'm going to say one, two, three, go. And when, I'm do, when I finish saying one, two, three, go, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to move through this room to people who have meant something in your life. Don't leave. Just move through the room. Thank them for being there for you and being your friend. Maybe someone, they don't even know they've had some influence in your life. We're going to do this for two or three minutes, so go quickly. And if you're next to your wife or husband, don't screw this up. (laughs) It is not my fault if you miss this moment. Ready? One, two, three, go. 